Today we're in Revelation chapter 7. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn there. Revelation chapter 7 and verses 1 through 8, we see the tribulation servants. We're going to see 144,000 Jews who are missionaries and they're sealed. And then in verses 9 through 17, we're going to see the tribulation saints. And we're going to see innumerable Gentile martyrs that are slain. You know, that we, will, we live in a, in a world where you wonder, Lord, why is this happening? Why did, you know, they get this and I didn't? Why did that person die and that person got protected? Why did that, you know, kid die of an, uh, of an illness, a disease, and my child didn't? We have uh, questions, and uh, we don't always have the answers, but I do know this, like Robert said, that God is good. And we're going to see some of that in our study today. Uh, the first section are missionaries. They're protected. They're sealed. They're Jews. It's an amazing thing. But then the other section are those who witness for Christ, and they got their head chopped off during the tribulation period. Innumerable, innumerable Gentiles that are saved as a result of their witness. And so let's read in verse 1, Revelation 7. It says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so we're in this place in the book of Revelation where God is revealing to us what's going to happen in the future, what's going to happen during the tribulation period. And we've already gone through Uh, six seals but before we get to the seventh seal we see the next thing that John sees are four angels it says standing at the four corners of the earth and so that would be the north the south the east and the west and they were kind of like holding or harnessing the four winds of the earth now um, just in case you're wondering uh, the phrase uh, the four corners of the earth doesn't mean the Bible teaches that the earth is flat or shaped as a cube as a matter of fact, something interesting, Isaiah 40:22, it says that the Bible said that the earth was round. It says he, he was sits above the circle of the earth. And so not teaching a square, not teaching a cube. Um, what we're talking about here when we talk about the four corners of the earth, it's a metaphor in reference to the whole earth, the north, south, east, and west in their entirety. And as far as the winds go, and so you got these angels that are holding back or harnessing the winds, the, the four angels are holding these, you know, winds. It could be literal. It, it really could be. But more than likely, these winds are symbolizing the way that God will work on planet Earth. And we see during the tribulation period, the, the judgment, in one sense, they're like these heavenly hurricanes. And so, you know, when you read the Bible, just as a quick side note, we see this frequently. For example, in the book of Jeremiah, Chapter 49 and verse 36, uh, Jesus uh, even spoke about this in Matthew 24, 31. In Daniel 7 and verse 2, it says that Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. 
And so the, the four winds, we're talking about just God moving in a mighty way. God is blowing. God is working. And in this case and context, what's God doing during the tribulation period? Number one, he's judging those who refuse to believe. And number two, he's saving those who choose to receive the love of Jesus Christ. God's moving. The winds are, are going to be blowing. But right now, uh, there's a pause in the program as judgment is held back for a bit. As the angel ascends from the east, the Bible says, and he has this seal. Think about it. The seal of the living God in order to seal 144,000 Jewish servants. And so we read right here that he cries with a loud voice to these four angels. He says, don't harm the earth, the sea, the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Now, before he identifies them, what we're going to see in a bit as descendants of Israel, it's interesting to me that they are identified as servants of God. You know, in the Bible, uh, it's interesting, and you guys know this is why the Lord wrote the Bible in uh, Koine Greek, the New Testament, because it was able to articulate things in such a specific fashion. And so in the Bible, you have different Greek words for servant. You have uh, diakonos, which speaks of a deacon, one who runs errands or maybe covers the finances. You have uh, huperates, which is an under rower. Uh, you have uh, one that's more of a liturgical servant. But then you have this Greek word doulos. And the word doulos is in reference to a slave. It's in reference to a bondservant. And when he talks about these 144,000, we're going to see in a bit, that, that God, you know, seals, the, the word servant, it, it means or it's, it comes from that Greek word doulos. And for us, I think it's good to make that distinction that this, these are slaves of God, not forcibly, but willingly, voluntarily. They've surrendered their rights to Jesus. You know, in the New Testament, it's the permanent surrender combined with an attitude of absolute and total submission to God. And, and I don't know if that's where you are, but that's where we should be. As Christians, blood-bought, bonafide believers, we should be bondservants of Jesus Christ. We should be those like these who have voluntarily, volitionally surrendered all rights to God and that that's who they are you know Jesus actually said that this was to be our goal our ambition I mean you want to be great Jesus said this in Matthew 20 in verse 25 he called the guys to himself and he said you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And so that's our goal. And so when we're looking at the, these first uh, section of uh, you know, people that are, that are sealed, I, I think that there's an inspiration for us. Lord, that's what I want to be. I want to be a bondservant, a doulos of Jesus Christ. And so one angel cries with a loud voice to the four angels. He says, hey, don't harm anyone or anything until these servants of God are sealed. And so we read in verse 4, notice what it says, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. 
Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And so we get the tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each of these tribes that are sealed. They're servants of the living God. You know, and, and we're going to see as we go through how important it is to understand that God's not done with Israel. That's why, and I'm so blessed with the heritage, or I should say the spiritual heritage that I've received. Because uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, who God used to start Calvary Chapel, uh, I think this was a man who, who visited Israel, you know, 60 times. I mean, here's a man, when you go to Israel and you go and you do the baptisms, he was the one that God used to funnel the funds to give the money to Israel. He, he just loved Israel. He supported Israel. There is something special in our hearts for Israel when you really know the word. And here you see God's not done with Israel. During the tribulation period, he's going to seal all these servants of God. Now, you might wonder, well, why did he seal them and what does it mean? David Jeremiah said this. He said, It was common in John's day for masters to seal or brand their slaves on their forehead or hand to declare ownership. This mark also granted protection from those who would steal or misuse them. And so, um, I don't know if I should say this, but I'll go ahead and say it. I remember uh, as a teenager, I would get a pimple every once in a while. The worst place to get one was right there in the forehead, man. <laughs> You know, because, uh, I mean, it's just so visible, right? You could see it. And, uh, and I, that's probably why they're marked um, on their foreheads. Now, I don't know if everyone physically saw them, but I do know that the angels were able to see them, that, you know, this, the ones that are marked, right? And so they're marked for ownership. This one belongs to me. They're marked for protection because we're going to see later the angel uh, are going to, the first four angels are going to release judgments and then demons are going to come out and the demons will not be allowed to touch those who have the mark, uh, uh, the seal on their forehead. Now sometimes we put initials or maybe our name on the things that we own with permanent marker, right? So that, you know, if someone tries to steal it, they'll always look at it and they'll get convicted. Maybe this belongs to Sean. I'm, I should give it back to him. <laughs> and that's what's going on here, right? Um, God is sealing. God is stamping with his mark the ones that belong to him. We're going to see it again later in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. And if you have a chance, I encourage you to go back and read the whole book of, I'm uh, not the whole book, the whole chapter of Ezekiel chapter 9. And even if you read chapter 8, it's an interesting uh, section there. It was when Israel was bad. I mean, really, really bad. And uh, it talked about how when you, they would actually drill a hole in the wall. And Ezekiel said, if you look in the wall of the church, you're going to see even the elders were in secret sin. That there was awful things going on in Israel at that time. And, uh, and so Ezekiel chapter 9 it talks about the angel who's going to come and he is going to judge. He's going to judge 
but he can't judge those who have this seal. Same, same difference, so to speak. Ezekiel 9, verse 4, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. So there were some, there was always a remnant, huh? Those who sigh, those who cry, those whose hearts are broken because of the sin that's going on sometimes even in the church. And so back then, the Lord said, go put a mark on those who sigh and cry over sin. And then in verse 6 of Ezekiel 9, listen to this, and it's heavy. It says, utterly slay old and young men, maidens, little children, women, but do not come near anyone of whom is the mark and it says this, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. And so that's where Peter gets this reference that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And so we see the, the same thing, sealed for identification, sealed for protection. Because after the seven seals uh, come the seven trumpets, and we're going to see that the first four trumpets bring judgment upon the earth from four angels. Uh, more than likely, these are the four angels. And then when the fifth trumpet blows, the demons are released, who in this case need to be able to identify those who belong to God, and they're commanded not to harm these servants. Look at Revelation 9. If you would look at Revelation 9, verse 4, it says they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so, number one, uh, identification. Number two, protection. Do you guys believe that you're protected by God? You know, we're going to see later in the book of Ephesians that you are sealed by God. And so we have that ID. We have the protection. And then thirdly, um, we know that the, the seal is also in reference to unction. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, most of you know this passage. It says, in him, speaking about Christians, you who also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so what we see here as Christians is very similar. We have a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that seal is ownership. That seal is he who began a good work in you will complete it. That seal is, is, is the anointing of the Lord, you know. And, and these 144,000 servants... What are they going to do as bond slaves? What are they going to do? You know what they're going to do? Wh what's the best thing we can do? What's the best way we can serve God? Preach the gospel. You know, shine as Christians so that people would be drawn to the Lord. Share with people so that they could come to the Lord. That's what these 144,000 are going to do. A in one sense, I think that these 144,000 are going to be like 144,000 Paul the Apostles. And you know how effective that guy was, right? Without internet, man. Without uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, man. The way that he impacted the world. Now imagine having 144,000 of them. Because there's something special about when a Jew is born anew. And so these guys, uh, it's crazy. What we see here in chapter 14, look at chapter 14 real quick. 
Speaking of them, in verse 4, it says, These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And that's probably uh, uh, allegorical. It's not literal or physical. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Now, now first fruits, it means like the first that would produce many more after. And so these 144,000 that are sealed, these servants, these bond slaves, these doulos, they are going to be Jews preaching the gospel to the rest of the world. Think about that. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. You know, when you think about the Jews, you know, God chose Abraham uh, and through him, uh, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that the whole world would be blessed. And so through Abraham, through the Jews, uh, we see that we get our, our scriptures primarily written by Jews and we get our Savior, Jesus. And so the whole world is blessed um, through the Jews. But the primary reason that the Lord uh, chose the Jews after that was that they would share the gospel. Uh, some of them did, but most of them didn't. As a matter of fact, what happened with the Jews is they held it to themselves, and they began to be exclusive, and they began to say, well, we know we're chosen of God, and you're not. As a matter of fact, the, the rabbis got so bad that they believed, eventually, many of them believed, that the Gentiles were only created to fuel the fires of hell. And so um, think about that. God said to them, I want you to represent me to the rest of the world. And they didn't. They made it exclusive. Now, during the tribulation period, they're finally fulfilling their destiny. And I want to say to you, just as a side note and a quick challenge, you know, life is good and you're blessed. You're so blessed. You are so blessed. But, but are you holding it in? Are you sharing with others? Because in all reality, I, I think that the reason we're still here is because God wants to work in us and God wants to work through us. And we want to live a life so that we can earn the right to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, to serve the Lord. And I was thinking right over there when I was uh, just worshiping and, you know, just looking at just how God is bringing so many people. Maybe you're here today and you're not serving. And you want to know, well, how can I serve? I want to serve. Listen, if that's you, talk to one of the pastors. It may be somewhere else where God has you serving with your family or your work. Or maybe it'll be in the church. But the last thing we want is for people who are saved not to serve. And so here we see that the, 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 the Jews are sealed um, for identification, for protection, and for unction, that they would share the gospel. And so they're tribulation servants, 144,000 Jews, missionaries that are sealed. Now, now, real quick, just in case you guys listen to different studies, I think it's crazy how some people deny that these 144,000 are actually Jews. Uh, over the years, we've seen a lot of confusion. Uh, some, like the Jehovah Witnesses, claim that this is the elite amongst them. Uh, the Mormons believed that in the beginning of their existence, and so did the Seventh-day Adventists, as well as a group called who called themselves the Worldwide Church of God. 
And so it's weird. I mean, God makes it clear, huh? Uh, they're, they're, they're from the descendants of Israel, and it even gives the specific tribes that they come from. And so there's no um, mystery in that. God makes it clear that he will seal 144,000 Jews. Now, another misconception that you might come across uh, as you're studying and you're listening to different guys and reading books and stuff is what's called replacement theology. And so be careful of replacement theology because what they believe is that God is no longer dealing with Israel, that the church has replaced Israel. And that's not true. And you guys, uh, if you're, you know, open, you see it, huh? I mean, that Israel became a nation again in 1948. They regained Jerusalem in 1967. After close to 2,000 years, we see it as a sign that the Lord is saying, hey, I'm coming soon. The Bible clearly states that these are from Israel. And so it's important for us to remember that during this time, God is dealing with the Jews. Remember, we're talking about the tribulation period being the last week of the 70 weeks of Daniel. He's not done with them, according to Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And so God is reaching many of them, and he will use them to reach others. Uh, one other thing, just in case. I know some people, that you just want the general uh, you know, picture, and some are more into details. And so let me just share this with you, just in case you're interested. You may have noticed in looking at the 12 uh, that are listed here, the 12 sons of, of Israel, is that the tribes of Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned. And so, you know, normally when you look at the 12 uh, that are named in Israel in the Old Testament, Levi and Joseph would not be mentioned because of the fact that Levi was the priestly tribe who had God as their portion. And Joseph, if you remember, was blessed to have his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, within the 12. And so it doesn't mean that the descendants of these tribes that are not mentioned don't exist or won't be saved. It simply means that these two tribes, Levi and Joseph, um, you know, are, are excluded. You know, it's interesting. When you read the scriptures, Dan is mentioned in the list found in the Millennial Kingdom in Ezekiel 48, verse 32. Dan is mentioned there. You know, some actually believe the reason the two tribes are omitted is because perhaps they are the two tribes, they say, that led Israel astray when Israel divided. Remember the northern kingdom, Ephraim? They went uh, astray, and so maybe that disqualified them from this particular service. You know, one last thing about this. Uh, for many years, commentators talked about the ten missing tribes, and they said that Israel no longer had these tribes. But they don't say that anymore. Why? Because of the DNA research that we now have. Israeli researchers are using DNA technology to identify the tribes that the Jews belong to today. And it's so cool because Jews from every tribe have been identified through DNA testing. And although they can't determine which tribe every Jew is from because of the centuries of intermarriage, they can determine roughly one-third of them. And so, you know, God... In case, you know, and you guys, are, are you see the news, and you see Israel in the news a lot. Um, God's not done with them. And uh, I would encourage you, like I referenced earlier, Genesis 12, verse 3, 
um, God says that he will bless those who bless Israel and he will curse those who curse Israel. The other day, one of the brothers who attends his church, he, I, I don't know, oh yeah, I was through uh, uh, someone that he spoke to in his family. He found out that he had uh, Jewish blood in him, you know, Jewish roots. And so I said, oh, okay, bro, I guess we got to bless you now, <laughs> man, because you're Jewish. We got to treat you special. But, I mean, there is some truth to that, you guys. We love everybody. We really do. But I don't know about you. There's something a little special in my heart uh, for Israel. And so you see that the first section, 144,000 Jews, they're servants, they're sealed, and they're missionaries. Now we're going to see innumerable amount of Gentiles who are slain, who are martyrs. Look what we read in verse 9. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, Notice of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures. And fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? Imagine, he asked John. <laughs> and uh, I said, John said to him, Sir, you know. And so he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. Hold on just a second. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, it's interesting how in this chapter there is mention of those who are protected from harm in verses 1 through 8 and those who are martyred for their faith. In verses 9 through 17. You know, and sometimes I, I wonder, you know, like, Lord, why is it that James, when he got arrested, you, you let him die? And then when Peter got arrested, you sent an angel and you freed him. And, you know, we have these questions in life. We have this right in front of us in Revelation chapter 7. You know, these are tribulation saints. These are those who got their heads cut off because they didn't take the mark of the beast, because of their witness for Christ, because of their testimony of Jesus. And, you know, we're going to see in our study today that although that happened to them, you know, they were blessed. They, they were blessed. And I just want to encourage you to focus on that blessing. We, we need to know this. You know, Romans 8.28 is probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, right? You guys probably know it by heart, right? If all things work together for good 
to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. And that means that all the calamities, all the tragedies, all the craziness, all the things that are going on in the world today, you know, they, you know God's going to somehow work it out for good, and that and it helps us. But I encourage you, go back 10 verses. Go back to Romans 8, verse 18. And if you look at that passage, it says that the suffering we experience here won't even be able to be compared to the glory that we will receive then. And that, to me, is even, you know, greater encouragement, you know, because that's what we see here. They, they go through this, uh, and they, they, they die for their faith, and, you know, uh, you're like, Lord, how could you allow it to happen? But then he goes on and he shares the intimacy that they get to experience with Jesus forever and ever. You know, I, I believe that these 144,000 Jews are, are going to be uh, sharing the Lord. And because of their, their effectiveness, because of their passion, because of their, their, their willingness to be a slave of Jesus, that the ministry is going to be so effective and because of that, people from every nation will be saved as a result of their witness. And here they are. They've been you know, martyred, uh, but they're before God's throne. They're clothed in white robes, which is, of course, the righteousness of Christ. And did you guys notice that they have palm branches? What does that remind you of? Remember Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, right? Uh, the victory. That's what the palm branches. Uh, you know, I was thinking of my brother Ray's mom. She's gone home to be with the Lord. And I thank God because I know it's hard. But, man, she's safe. You know, I try to tell people because sometimes you're going through trials and you're a Christian. And, you know, you get all bummed out. And you get all depressed and you whatever. Things are not going right. But you know Jesus. Do you realize, and I tell people, do you realize that you are among the elite that have found this narrow road that leads to life, very few find it. And so we need to look at things in that way. Here they are. They're just praising God. And, you know, we don't have time to get into everything, but I do encourage you to read through this uh, expression of praise from all areas. To me, the main thing is that they were just praising God for their salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The NLT says it this way, salvation comes from our God. The Amplified says it this way, our salvation is due to our God. I mean, I don't know if you ever just, when you go to pray, you just thank Him that He saved you. That He saved you. You know, because... I remember my life before I was a Christian, I was lost. I was dead in my sins. I had no hope. And he saved me. I didn't save myself. And that's why it's important to give all God all the credit and all the glory. I can't, you know, be like, well, yeah, of course, you know, I'm the one that chose him. And I decided, you know what? I don't even emphasize that, even though we give the gospel, we tell people you have a responsibility to choose if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you don't know if you know Jesus, choose life. Give your heart to him. We're, we're sinners in, in need of a savior. He died on a cross, rose again. All you have to do is believe in him. And so we always share, choose. That's a responsibility. But we camp out on, we emphasize the sovereignty of God in that 
He saved me. And I, I will always, always be grateful for that. And that's why the, the, the praise here, it, belongs, it begins that way. Salvation belongs to our God. And the next thing you know, man, all these people are praising the Lord and even the you know, angels and the four elders and everyone joins in. Man, because what's coming next on planet Earth is crazy. You know, these angels, they have so much power. We read one time in the uh, Old Testament about one angel coming, kill, coming and killing 185,000 Assyrians. Remember when God judged Jerusalem and David saw the angel over the city with a sword drawn? He already killed 70,000. I mean, what God has saved us from is absolutely amazing. You know, reading this uh, real quick, let me just read it one more time with you and, and go over it a, a little slower. He, who are these, he says in verse 13, in white robes? Where did they come from? Sir, you know. And he says, well, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And, and I was just thinking, almost like an oxymoron, huh? How do you get your robes white, washed in the blood of the Lamb? And it's just God's way of sharing with us that when Jesus died on that cross, that he shed blood because he suffered the punishment, the eternal punishment that we deserve, it washes us and makes us as white as snow. And listen, Christian, you got to make sure you receive that. You got to make sure you know that you're forgiven because you put your faith in Jesus, that when God looks at you, he sees no sin. Because I know for me, a lot of times I struggle with myself. I struggle with my self-identity. I find myself in circles, and sometimes I feel uncomfortable because I know who I am. I know who I am. But I also know who I, I also need to know who I am in Christ. I'm forgiven. You know, this is us. This is what God has done for us. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The, these are ones, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. You know, and you may think, well, that's like an everlasting uh, obligation to work. But what a privilege it'll be. Think about that. It's kind of like, you know, uh, in one sense, the privilege that Henry and I and Ariel have of being on staff at the church. Yeah, uh, responsibilities. But every time we come in these doors, we thank God that we get to serve him here. And in one sense, when we're in heaven, we're all going to be on staff. It's going to be kind of cool. And it says right here, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And some translations say that he will protect them with his presence. It's cool. I mean, he dwells with them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them. I say that just as the sun is striking me right now, <laughs> nor any heat. Think about what it's going to be like there for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne. And I've always liked that. There he is in the midst of the throne. He will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And, and, and just, yeah, they, you know, this life, I don't know how it's going to be with you. Some of you guys right here, you, you're going to get old and you're going to maybe die in your sleep if the Lord tarries. Others of you here, there might be tremendous suffering. We might go through trials. I don't know why for some it's such more, more difficult than others. But when you look at this and you see the reward, maybe in one sense that suffering leads to even more glory. All I know is this, that when we're with Jesus, it will be amazing. And when he talks about wiping away every tear and wiping away all that from their eyes, he's just talking about like wiping away all the, the pain, all the craziness, all the brokenness. No more, the Bible talks about in Revelation 21. No more will we experience those things because God will have us in his home called heaven. So prayerfully, you guys are all ready for this. You're ready for the rapture. Um, if you're here, and there are some, it's kind of interesting. I've talked to people over the years, and Pastor Raul used to mention this, how some people say, well, no, I'm not going to serve the Lord right now. I'll just wait until the tribulation period, and I'll get my head chopped off then, right? Well, two problems with that. Number one, the Bible says that if you have heard the truth and you have not yet received it, because you're like, no, I don't want it right now, then during that time, God's going to send you a strong delusion. You won't be able to then. But secondly, if you can't live for the Lord now, what makes you think you'll be able to die for him then? You won't be able to. And that's why I pray, you guys, we love Jesus because we know he loves us. We're living in these days, the last of the last days. This is what's ahead of us. And so I pray we would all be willing to say, Lord, I voluntarily sign up to be your slave.